Um, it's something where parents have to get more involved. They have to learn. They have to absolutely learn how to, to talk to their children about the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's the way I word it, okay, because there's a lot more of it out there, of children being kidnapped and all kinds of stuff. So um, anyway, okay, enough of that. We do have um, a, a wonderful guest, like I said. Her name is Laura West, and we have Lori on board. She's my co-host. Yes, she is. And I see Bill is here also. Um, Bill is here to um, – I'll be asking him questions off and on. He's always working behind the scenes. He's always so busy, and I never know when to ask him a question, but I'll take pokes at it, okay, and, uh, <laughs> and I'll let you know when I'm going to talk to him. So – all right, so uh, everybody's on hold right now for some reason. Lori, you shouldn't be. Let me see. There, can you hear me? Laura? I can hear you, yes. Okay, so we have Laura and we have Lori. Okay, I'm going to have both of your mics open. Okay. And and Bill, I will call on him several times throughout the show. Okay, so this is not a hard show to do. Yes, it can be, become emotional. Um, we will have feelings. And uh, you wouldn't be normal if you didn't have feelings, so uh, not to worry, all right, not to worry. Um, Laura, why don't you start telling us your story? Go ahead. Okay. Um, Well, my beef started extremely young. I was, uh, my first memories when I was four, I I was um, (laughs) given a, a glass of urine to drink. (laughs) which is like what (laughs) it's a little crazy but it was actually my my older brother who um decided that he needed to have some kind of power over me and uh it was never corrected by my parents so you know we were latchkey kids growing up and we always lived in rural areas and rural trailer parks and things like that and so he had like a good two to three hours there was you know two to three hours between the time the bus would drop us off at school after school to the time that my parents would come home when the beatings would end but I mean I believe he must have had you know maybe some kind of Asperger's or autism or you know something that caused this violent behavior um, because I have ADHD and I believe I'm borderline personality disorder. Uh, and I think I may also have some autistic traits as well, which I'm so curious about learning more about actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Very curious about it. Yeah. What they are and things like that. Um, anyway, so he was, it was brutal. Like, I mean, from the age of four, you know, it would start, started with the urine and it just kept going up from there. I just remember constantly being brutalized, like beaten, choked, held down, tied up. You know, I would have serrated, you know, blade knives to my throat. Uh, I'd be hogtied so that if I moved, I would be, you know, I'd have to choke myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, my blood would be all over the living room floor because he'd smash my face into, you know, these, hardwood coffee table that my parents had had um the bathroom door would be broken down while he's trying to get at me urinate on my face 
smash my face into the porcelain toilet, like just brutal, brutal, brutal beating. Um, every day, like every day. I remember many, many times running out into the snow, into, you know, in Timmins or uh, in these northern towns, these northern mining towns, grades four, five, six, seven, running out into the snow and just hiding, uh, trying to create a fort, like a snow fort, and trying to hide in the snow fort until it was, you know, for three hours until six o'clock hit. So that I would uh, try and avoid the beating. <laughs> the the worst thing about it was that I would always get in trouble. It would be my fault that my blood was all over the floor, that the bathroom door was broken down or, you know, or that, you know, because it was my responsibility. So my parents would come home after work and if all the housework wasn't done and all my chores weren't done, you know, and I'd say it's because he hit me or I'd have bruises he, I mean, he really learned how to hide, you know, how to hit me so that the the bruises wouldn't show on my face and stuff like that, mm-hmm. generally, you know. So a lot of the beatings were down sort of below on the chest, punching my chest into my stomach, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, I'm not having an emotional reaction right now because... I've uh, I've been able to detach the connection between the emotion and the action. So that connection is no longer there because your brain doesn't know the difference between yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so now it knows. I can say this, and it's something terrible that happened to me, mm-hmm. but I don't have the same physical reactions because I've disconnected the neurotransmitters that are connecting that used to connect, you know, to that pain and trauma. Like, Oh, it's going to happen again. Oh my God. You know, your brain going into that um, panic and recreating, you know, the scenario from any trigger. Right. So like when I would be at work, uh, if my boss literally stood up and came up and talked to me, I would start like trembling and shaking and I would, turn white and I turn ice cold and all of the blood would come up from my extremities into protect my, you know, inner organs. And so I'd turn ice cold and I'd start to stutter and I couldn't think and I'd be looking for exits. I mean, it was just pure, pure PTSD, complex PTSD trauma. And I could never really hold down a job because, um, because of this connection of an authority figure and the the beatings, right? It was very very challenging for my life. Yeah, so that was that was many many things. And I well, yeah, I, I'm just sitting here thinking. See, so many of us on on uh, NASCA have been horribly beaten too, right? Yeah, you, uh, oh, I'm sure it oh. happens every day. Yeah, every and, day. And I know it, it does. Is, disgraceful. All right. And uh, mm-hmm. if you come from a family where the parents don't really care or, or they, um, they're just too busy with themselves or whatever to really, you know, yeah. go into the details. Hey, what happened? I mean, what's going on here? And uh, why did you have to hit her and, and things like that? If that doesn't happen, then that type of behavior from him continues. And he's well, having he himself a good old time. Right? 
Exactly. Yeah. They created the yeah. blueprint. They said, oh, here you go. This is okay. You go mm-hmm. ahead and get your frustrations out <laughs> by continuing to beat this, you know, this little child for years and years to come. And um, even, you know, if my dad came home and I had a black eye, which did happen on occasion, or my nose, you know, like if he smashed my face into the coffee table and my blood was everywhere, obviously my nose is going to be swollen up, right? Of course. Um, yeah, but my dad never, not one, not until the day my mother died when I was 16, uh, well, after that, uh, did my dad actually take any kind of protective act before that it was always my fault so he had you know when you look into your history and you look into your heritage right Mm -hmm. so he has a huge issue with women and um his um his mother was an alcoholic. My grandmother was an alcoholic. And I remember all the crazy things like, well, I didn't see her very much. You know, we didn't see her a lot. But when I did see her, I remember falling asleep on the couch and she coming home from work from the bar because she was a barmaid and she'd come home from work from the bar at two o'clock in the morning and wake me up off the couch and say, hey, there's a fight going on down at the Robins, down at, you know, in the parking lot. We got to go see and put me in the car. I'd be like, I don't know, 10. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, there's like this uh, this trauma kind of uh, behavior or whatever that passes on. So I know that he definitely did not like women at all. And so whether he consciously thought it or unconsciously, you know, subconsciously, I was the bad one because I was female. I must have yeah. done something. So he would, when he came home, the first words out of his mouth, if he knew, you know, if something was wrong, was, what did you do to make him feel mad? And then I would go to bed without supper. <laughs> oh, boy. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was very crazy. So you learn very, very young. You know, you learn, I learned helplessness. Doesn't matter what I do. I'm not going to get anything I need. Right. You learn very, very young that nobody's going to hear you or listen to you. You're not going to get anything that you need, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or me, I need. You know, I, I learned that very, very young. So it took a long time to unprogram that, to deprogram that natural thought process. That was I, my brain developed to actually believe that I could actually make some action you know, reaction out of an action that was positive. I, I understand where you're coming from. Many of us here, you know, understand that um, a lot of us came from backgrounds. I'm going to put Lori on in a second. Um, you know, where the boy child was fine. He was the prince, okay? And, and the yeah. girl child was a nothing, <laughs> really basically a nothing. And... Uh, my abuse was one of my many, many abuses was from my brother also. And he didn't beat me up. No, he sexually abused me. And that was okay because this happens in families. Okay. So I had to put up with that for quite a few years. And um, it wasn't okay. I knew it wasn't okay. I wasn't a stupid kid. I was an abused kid. 
And this is where many of us come from. You see, whether it be physical abuse, you're being beaten, or whether you're being sexually abused, or whether you're being emotionally, you know, abused, or whatever the case might be, or terribly neglected. Some of us go through all of that, okay? And, yeah, you have the complex, yeah, Yeah. the complex post-traumatic stress disorder certainly uh, does, you know, that's a big deal part of it. I mean, this is why we suffer until we heal, until we get onto the healing journey, as we like to call it here at NASCA. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put uh, Lori on and uh, see if she has a um, question or wants to make a comment. Go ahead, Lori. Um, I'm glad you're on here. You're doing really well. I know this is kind of nerve-wracking at times, especially after the horror that you've gone through. You are going to trigger it. Um, I had a brother, too, that was extremely violent. Um, I know the reason that he was. He was actually starved for the first three months of his life. It's from total neglect. Yeah, Yeah, neglect, yes. He liked to hurt people. And Mm -hmm. I was, I don't know, maybe two years old, and the first thing he did, he threw me downstairs, I have five stairs, Every day, several times a day, if he spotted you, he was going to come attack you. And you're living in horror. And in my case, my parents were actually at home when all this was going on. Um, And they did nothing. Um, They didn't care what he did to me. And then it was my sister, like three years later, Um, they ignored it, you know. When you're a little kid, you don't understand that, you know, he's got brain damage or he's got a psychological problem and whatnot because you haven't learned that part yet. You just know that you're in a state of panic all the time, hiding out. You and your fort, I used to go, go into the woods next door to try to get away from him. And uh, I actually found a lot of dead animals that he would kill in those woods. So at that time, you're in pure terror. You know, you, you can only yeah. function as a child. You don't know to function as an adult because there haven't been any steps taught to you. But it is frustrating, and I know how frustrating it is when your parents didn't react to you. You know, it's not fair to you at all, and they did damage. I mean, you could have been doing um, childhood things, having some fun, if they would at least one time listen to you or stay home one day and watch. Because they knew something was wrong with him. They're just blaming it on you because you're the only one who was, like, able to, like, understand what they were saying. It's not that they didn't know. What he was doing couldn't be hidden from them. So I feel very, oh, so, so sorry for what you did and how they ignored you. But I am glad when you say I can hear the progression, you know, that you've made, that you can disconnect and whatnot. So you've made progress, and that's a good thing. Well, because, you know, that's another point, right, is that it's a physical connection in your brain. It's like a muscle. So if you can tap into it and then um, disconnect the connection that was born out of that experience, our brain develops as children, right? Like, and makes that connection and it's a physical connection. So it takes some, just some sort of uh, 
it doesn't take like affirmations and all that kind of stuff. You just got to talk to your inner child or your inner, you know, inner person that is uh, controlling the brain and change how it uh, sees the situation. So the biggest thing is to know or talk, tell the, like the way I look at it, you know, you get a little, I got my little bunny by my bed here, you know, and I look at my little bunny, my little bunny is my inner kid. And I did this for years and it really helped. And I told my little bunny, you know, that that person, say my boss, you know, wasn't there to hurt me. They were, they, you know, it's, it's okay. I know you're scared. You, uh, you know, this boss reminds you of the time when, you know, right. The memory that comes up that created the trigger and then deactivate the trigger. Nope. This is a different person. This is a different situation and it's a different time. This person is here to help you. He wants you to, you know, be successful at your job. This is not the same as that. And I'm here to take care of you now. And by doing those, that little trick, it's a little brain trick. You can actually tell your brain to disconnect that connection for the PTSD. So no longer do I shake and shiver and completely turn ice cold when anybody in a position of authority or in a, especially in like an officer's uniform or even a security uniform, it doesn't send me into that state anymore. I'm not going to say it's gone for like completely. Obviously there's still a little trigger there because I don't think I can get my brain to go back to as if it didn't happen, you know, but boy, oh boy, you know, if I hadn't spent tens of thousands of dollars and all of that time searching and searching and seeking, I never would have found those little brain hacks to disconnect that. And I would still be suffering from the exact same thing. So it's quite interesting how you can reprogram your brain because it's, you know, it's neuroplastic, it's moves, it's a muscle. It can, you can change all the connections. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you did like a wonderful that. job of compartmentalizing because that's actually what it is, you know, all these different parts you got to put it on. And as time goes by, all these new things that come, it goes more back into your brain, more compartmentalizing. And triggers... You sound like you're actually able to bring yourself out of one, have that safety net. When you know something is triggered, this is what you do to get yourself back on track. That's really admirable. Well, the triggers don't happen anymore because those neurotransmitters aren't connected anymore. I've deactivated them. They're not connected anymore. They're connected to a different, a different thing, a different thought, a different process. Now, that it's, sounds it's wonderful. A, it's not like a compartmentalization. It's actually a deactivation of the actual trigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand that. I get it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. It's like I two fingers, you know, you connect your fingers to that one thought or whatever, right? Oh, something bad is going to happen. And you can literally disconnect those and put together two new neurotransmitters that go, oh, well, nothing, you know, maybe something bad could happen, but probably it's not going to happen, right? And so then you can go on a different you're on a different thought path, which means that now your hypothalamus isn't, you know, surging out all that cortisol and adrenaline to get you going, right? And the thought is like, oh, well, hang on, let's see what this person wants or, you know, how can we help? As opposed to, 
oh, my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> right? Let me say something. Let me say something about that. You're talking to someone, you're talking to Miss Panic Child here. And I used to have such terrible panic disorder. Oh, and Lori knows all this. But um, it was so bad that it actually was debilitating. Okay, it was mm-hmm. debilitating. It was ruling my 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 life. Um, I didn't want yeah. to go places, or if I did go places, I'd drink. I'd make sure that I, I had to have a crutch. I had to have something, right? This is before I got over all this stuff. And um, because I didn't have the um, ability to go out, and I mean actually the ability, all right? I was scared. Now, I also like to sing. I'm, I'm a very good singer, and I sang in New York City in bands and stuff. And um, so I'd get drunk, but I, I couldn't get too drunk because then I'd forget the words, wouldn't I? <laughs> that happened one night. I can laugh at it now. So I had to gauge how much alcohol I could drink before I actually got up and performed. And um, I did well. I did well. I did very well. But the point is this. Um, we are so overcome so many times by all of these things that happen to us that we have to find some sort of safety net. Now, your safety net is detachment from, you know, the actual act of itself and, and the feelings that you have, and that's very good that you're able to do that. I'm, I'm really glad you're able to do that. I can honestly yeah, say. I just think you're using the wrong terminology, though. You know what I mean? Go it's ahead. not actually detachment, because I was detached. What is it? That's a different state of being. You know what I mean? This is okay. literally disconnecting the neurotransmitter that creates the thought that you're going to die. It literally right. disconnects it. It's not right. a detachment. Detachment is, like, because I was detached, I tell you, because I used to actually... Um, when he was beating me by the time I was 13, because it would be hours-long ritualistic torture. I mean, he had a wood-burning set. He would use that on me. I mean, there was just so many things. Like, I can't even, you know, there was just so many. <laughs> he had a, you know, he got a, a rifle, one of those uh, pellet guns. He used that on me. I mean, it just it just never ended, all the trigger, all the things that he did. But what what I've literally done is it's, so when I did detach, I actually mm-hmm. felt like, like I was leaving my body, you know, doing that transcendental right. meditation because I remember floating up and watching him beat me. And mm-hmm. there was one time when he left the room and I wanted to get back into my body so I could get out, but I wasn't quick enough. And I ended up mm-hmm. not being able to get out until, you know, and he continued to um, do whatever the hell he was doing to me. But this is not detachment. This is not that. It's it's actually, yeah, go ahead. Explain what you're saying here because I want to see what okay, you're talking so about. Go ahead. When your brain is developing when you're a child, right, That's you get right. connections in your brain that, that connect um, from your experience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, an experience creates a thought. Okay, the stove is hot. If I put my finger on the stove, I'm going to burn my hand. Right? right? Right. So that connection, so then if you put your two fingers together and visualize it, the connection is the stove is hot. Okay, move your hand away from the stove. Don't touch the stove, right? Mm-hmm. But what if the stove isn't hot? It's a not hot stove, right? Now you mm-hmm. have to reprogram your brain to believe, to have a different belief that the stove is no longer hot. 
right? And mm-hmm. so you you can reprogram it from experience and from like I, I'm not I, I don't want to use the word talk therapy, but it's basically retelling yourself or retelling your inner child that this this stove isn't hot, so you can touch the stove. It's okay. And so you can disconnect the belief that stoves are hot and reconnect a different connection to stoves, a different thought connection. And that new thought connection becomes a new automatic thought. It's your new automatic way of living. Hmm. I, I, I like that, and I understand what you're saying. However, the stove at one time would burn you if you did touch it, if it was turned on. So, but if it's not turned on, then therefore it's not going to hurt you. Oh, it was I, just an example, though. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it was—I didn't yeah. know what else. To well, that's think all right. I, I understand. I yeah. understand. Okay, but it so means, we, we it means you about... can literally reprogram your brain. Like it's all over the mm-hmm. psychology, all the, all over the, all, yes. like all, all the psychology today and all the books. We mm-hmm. can rewire our brain. So yes. it literally is not detachment. It isn't detachment. Detachment is where right. you you know, completely block everything out. This is different. You're creating new thought patterns that are automatic, that have a different result for your body. So instead of my body now going, like turning ice cold and sending out all that adrenaline and cortisol making me crazy, like I got to get out of here and something bad is going to happen and start shaking and I'm cold, right? Mm -hmm. Now... The new automatic thought is, oh, I'm safe. It's okay. You know, this person's just coming up to me because they want to tell me what I need. They're going to give me a parking ticket or whatever, right? Like this person in a suit or an authority thing. I don't turn ice cold anymore. It's literally deactivating the two neurotransmitter connections to the the thought that that person walking up to me is going to kill me, right? That's the word right there. Yes, deactivating. Deactivating. Yeah, deactivating it. And yes. then you, re- and then you activate sense. a new thought. Yeah, you right. activate a new thought. So now right. the new thought, and it's natural. It's all in your subconscious. Like you're not even, it's not a conscious thought. You're not, I'm not programming it. I'm not sitting there. I've changed it already. I changed it physically in my brain by telling, by that little process. And I, I know it sounds stupid. <laughs> it sounds so ridiculous and no, flighty. it doesn't sound stupid at all. <laughs> but it's like you, you're look. What you're doing is you're addressing the problem, okay? And you're addressing it. You're seeing it, and you're deactivating yourself from the feelings of the problem before you were ice cold, and now you're not ice cold anymore. So you've actually because overcome. your brain, yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh-huh. Your brain thinks, your brain doesn't know the difference between yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So as far as it's concerned, this person in a position of authority coming up towards you is about to kill you, right? Uh-huh. That's the old connection. And then you right. just reprogram that connection. You deactivate that one and put in a new one. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. Yeah. That's then. That's that specific situation. That specific person. That's not going to happen now. Yeah, and I so see, now I like the new that. automatic. I like that. Different. I like that word because it makes sense. Okay, what you were saying before. I mean, I can see that because when people, I used to work in Greystone. I saw all kinds of stuff. I, I was a technician there. What's so Greystone? Oh, I was a psychiatric hospital, and we had all kinds oh. of. I was a state certified technician there, and I worked with the psychiatrists. Now, 
What you're talking about is you're deactivating. What you're doing, you're looking at the problem, like I said before, and you're able to separate it in the sense that you're deactivating it. it and you're actually putting in scenarios there. This person isn't going to hurt me anymore. And even though it may have happened before with someone else of authority, this person might just be giving me a ticket. You see, that you used it as that. So I understand what you're doing. If it works for yeah. you, that's wonderful. And, and I get it. I get it. So, um, yeah, okay. So let me ask you something. Um, when you look back, when you look back at your brother, I don't know if you talked to him today, do you? Oh, no. I didn't, no, I I didn't think so. I don't talk to mine either. <laughs> no. If he came to my door, I'd probably hit him in the head with a baseball bat. That's how I am. Go ahead. <laughs> I have nothing to do with my brother. Oh, no. Because those, he's one of the people who harmed me, you know. And, and um, as far as I don't get triggered by him anymore. And one time I couldn't even talk about what he did to me even on this show. There was no way yeah. that could, you could ask Bill. And it, because it was too much a part of some, it was part of my problem, you know, that I couldn't deactivate it. I was too much in the turmoil of it. So I had to separate it. I had to, de, you know, detach from it. And that's what I've done with all the people who abused me, is to put them in a different part. People have heard me say this before, a different part of my brain. Because, okay, if I want to tap into that, I can. But I don't really care to. However, I can. And I don't think about it. And it doesn't uh, define my life anymore. Yeah. Well, I think one of the the kind of tricks or brain hacks to that you know that mm-hmm. little saying I was saying right what you say to the little inner mm-hmm. child mm-hmm. is that the part of it that where you say this reminds you of the time when so what you're doing is you're taking a specific situation mm-hmm. that your brain is being that's the trigger that your brain is being reminded of thinking that's going to happen again with this new person right this new situation right. Right. And every time you do that with those with those memories, mm-hmm. then that specific memory gets deactivated because you're mm-hmm. telling your brain, oh, oh, I know what you're upset about. Right. I know what you're automatically thinking about. You think that because of that situation, mm-hmm. this situation is the same. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not. You don't have no, you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to take care of this. You know, me, the grown-up person now. I'm going to take care of this. This isn't the same as that. You know, I know you're scared and that's okay. And, and that's the whole crazy thing. Then that memory mm-hmm. becomes gone. Like, not the memory itself, but the physical, the um, mm-hmm. the physical the reaction. Uh Well, yeah, like, but kind of, I mean, more like the physical reaction to it. Uh So Uh maybe somebody walks up to you, like for me, especially it's anybody in a position of authority to be male, female, especially on uniforms. I don't know why Uh it was Uh that, but whenever they would walk up to me, it was, um, I had to deactivate the triggers of when I was hogtied, when I was, you know, getting choked, when I was, my face was being smashed into the coffee table like well, all well, of you these can't things live. stepped on or what have you mm-hmm. right 
You're the one yeah, who can't I would, live. Like, I'll give you an well, example. Every, but every one of those saying. memories got, mm-hmm. I was able to say, oh, hey, well, you know, I know that happened to you during that time, but that's not going to happen. That, you know, that situation is different from this one. So that specific right. memory, every single one of those specific memories. So I had to do it a lot. <laughs> I had to do it a lot. But every one of those specific memories eventually got deactivated. And my brain was then pre-programmed to think a different way, which means like the underlying thought, the subconscious thought that, that ends up making the body, um, you know, surge cortisol and, and the adrenaline. Right. Instead, it, sur- right. it doesn't surge those out. You know what I mean? As, like yeah. it just, it's, it's a physical reaction that's so different now. Um, but it took years, like, honestly, I mean, I'm 57 now, so, you know, I spent probably 30 years trying to find that easy. I, well, 20, I think 25, 20, 20 years for sure, 25, um, trying to find the keys, you know, cause there's so many out there that are like, oh yes, well do this, uh, with the red light thing. What's that called? The red light one. I know what you're talking about. But you, yeah, let me say something called. here. I'm going to say something to you. You're finally going mm-hmm. to get to the point in, in, your, in your life. And by the way, 57 isn't terribly old. I just want you to know that. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> but you're, you're going to get to the point in your life where um, I chose to write a book, okay, on my memoirs. And people said to me, wasn't that emotional for you? Didn't that trigger you? Um, didn't you have terrible feelings? Didn't it make you, you know, go back and, into memory and all this other stuff, all the things you went through when you were a kid, right? And I said, no. I had absolutely, absolutely no emotion when I wrote that book. None. I was able to write it. I felt nothing. I felt like... I was looking down at some kid, some poor kid, <laughs> who was going through all of this stuff, you know, in, in her life. Yeah. And um, I had no emotion, except maybe feeling sorry for the kid, but, I mean, I had no emotion about the actual act of itself. So that's when, when, when you want to call, if you want to call it mm-hmm. detachment or, or whatever you want to call it, maybe not detachment, but whatever, um, I, I have nothing left of feelings towards anything that happened to me as a child. It's gone. That was yesterday. I don't have many and more so panic. you don't, you don't, yeah, yeah you nothing. don't have any, like when somebody walks up to you or there's something, you know, there's a smell or anything like that, right? Those triggers yeah. no longer are mm-hmm. triggers. They don't activate the um, protection no. mechanism, the protection connection. Yeah. No. No. no, I got exactly. over that a long time ago. Thank God, because I wrote my no, book twelve years ago. Yeah, I wrote my book twelve years yeah. ago, and and um, and it was before that that mm-hmm. I came to that point. So I, what I'm trying to say here is, I think no matter what we go through, okay, I'm not saying that you can't feel sadness at times that your life wasn't different. You know what I'm saying? Because let's face it, if we didn't go through all of that stuff, our life would have been different, maybe, right? And and maybe we oh, could have had sure. better time. Yeah, we could have had better times oh, in our life. And we could have had yeah, we could have had good memories instead of bad memories. However, even just looking at that, it's still I I never get triggered. Not anymore. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. So you do reach that point 
where, yes, you can have empathy for children that are going through it. You can have empathy for adults who never healed from it. Absolutely, because you've been there. But you still don't have that same feeling because you have healed from it. And I think what's going on here from the way that you're speaking is that you found a way. Now, it says in your bio here that you, you, you went to counselors, you went to therapists, you went to all kinds of self-help books and 12-step groups explaining how my brain developed. And this is why what you're referring back to over there, what we were talking about before, and how and why uh, getting hijacked when triggered, I learned life skills that I was never taught. And uh, you've gone yeah. to psychiatrists and, and everything. Everything you can go to, you went to last oh. year. <laughs> All right. And, and, and wasted you know, so much time, Carol. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. You know, that's and right. sometimes you learn one tiny little golden nugget and you walk out of there and that's like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And sometimes you walk out of there and they're going, for you to spend $2,000 to have, you know, a psychologist who's registered, right? designated, mm-hmm. supposed to be educated, having you run in your mind for every hour for five five weeks. Right. You're like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How are you helping yeah. me? <laughs> You're right. not helping me understand right. anything, you know? Yeah, craziness. So this like, is good. Real crazy guru weird stuff out there, you know, that you're like, what are you doing? Yeah, so I I wasted a lot of money, a lot of time trying to find, you know. And I found, I think I found these techniques more in outside of the, like the psychological, you know, the scientific route. Mm -hmm. These were all in the more Louise Hay, you know, more in the sort of the self help books Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I found these techniques that I learned. Yeah, you must have found some good ones. Um, some people do benefit. <laughs> I'm serious. Some people do benefit, you know, by going for therapy and and all this other stuff and counselors. Sometimes they can find that, you can find yeah. a good therapist. Yeah, I never oh, yeah, found a good can. one who ever really helped me. I had one therapist. I pay. I remember paying again two hundred dollars an hour. And I mean, right. I wasn't a wealthy person. Like I was barely surviving as a single mom and stressed all the time like it was hard you know and um my family never they had no desire to help you you made your bed you lie in it you know like as soon as I moved out I moved out at 17 as soon as I moved out of the house and I put myself to university like okay you're gone you're out get out you know you're done like yeah it was like yeah there was no it's not the um the kind of family that you see on TV, that's for sure. <laughs> but well, you know, like I used to tell like, myself too, if I was going to have a panic attack, you know what? You know what got me over my panic attacks? People don't understand this, but it works for me. That's all I can say. Um, I was having one panic attack after another, and it was usually in stores. My mother used to humiliate me in stores. Oh I think I know God, where that I one came that. from. Yes. I, I, I had that. one in the grocery store. It's terrible. And uh, it's terrible. You think you're dying. You think you're dying. You're sure of it. Yeah. So you rang the yeah. bell there because I thought I was dying. I, at that point, I didn't care if I did, all right? <laughs> hey, I'd rather die than go through this, all right? And uh, But finally, all of a sudden, something changed in my brain. And I got so freaking mad, okay, 
at the panic attack because it was ruining my life. (laughs) This panic disorder was ruining my life. And I like to go out and do things. I'm I'm like my mind is there anyway, (laughs) even if I couldn't get my body there, all right? So I got so mad at my panic attack that it was actually stronger. My head must have been ready to burst, I'm serious, than the panic attack. Now, that happened three times where I got mad, got mad, go away, you... I, I won't say these things on, on air. <laughs> the words <laughs> that I said in my head, all right? But you can just take a mat, you know, imagine. And it wasn't as if somebody was holding a forty-five to my head, all right? Okay? It, it wasn't a thing like that. Come on. I mean, what the hell are you afraid of anyway? See, this is how I talk in my brain and then other bad things, other bad words. And finally, they actually went away. And I didn't need the magic pill or anything else. I didn't need it. It went away. It went away. It Mm. went away. So, you see, then I was able to live my life. And you don't know how how or why that worked. Like, you don't know. There's no sort of... uh, uh, written like stuff about it or any kind of instruction about how that worked. No, I was yeah. I was told to go. I, I mean therapy. that's amazing. I would never yeah. think of doing that. <laughs> well, I just I got did so have mad. a panic attack at a grocery <laughs> store, and I remember everything went black. Like it just went black. People were touching me. They were with the shopping carts, and mm. they were shoulder rubbing me. And I would I just kept getting more and more like. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And everything just kept going black. And I just kept seeing this, the, this little peak hole to try and find the exit, you know, like a little, mm-hmm. yep. like I was looking through a peephole trying to get out just because people were touching me. And that was just well, after I graduated from university. Too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's, well, hypervigilance is also looking for exit signs all the time. See, that's what I used to do. Yeah. Even if I went into a restaurant, most people look for the ladies' room. I looked for the exit sign, right? Because I figured if I had a panic attack, yeah. uh, I, I want to get out because you want to get away from it. Whatever it is that's causing this panic attack, you don't even give a crap what it is at the time. You just want to get out and away from it, you know. And um, then maybe go to the ladies' room. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. But, you know, it came second. The first thing was the exit sign. And that's how I ruled my life, Whether wherever I went. I had to know where the exit sign was because um, I could have a panic t- attack in front of people. You know, and, and even in school, I could have it in um, – I had so many panic attacks in high school. I walked out when I was 16, and I went and took my GED, okay? What's the difference? I didn't care. I got my GED, and I passed with 17 more points than I needed. I wasn't a stupid kid. I was a sick kid. All right? yeah. I needed help, all right, of some kind. And oh, my yeah. panic attack no started help. when I was nine. They started when I was nine and lasted until I was 49. Wow. That's a nine. long time, honey. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask wow. you something. I only you have that one, honestly. I only really? have maybe maybe a couple more. I don't know why they uh-huh. stopped or why I didn't have more. I have no idea. I don't even understand why it came. I, I, I don't know anything about, but it was, yeah, I can at least say that I can have a sense of what somebody else experienced having uh-huh. like some panic attack just because uh-huh. I'd had a couple. 
So you know what it feels like, you know, the heart pounding, I, I, the terrible sweating, might, yeah. the mind boggling. And I, you know, you just well, want everything to die. Went black. That was the whole thing for me is that everything went black and I couldn't see. I literally couldn't see. My, my, like I was, everything was black. It was like I was looking down a funnel and mm-hmm. trying to get out of the store. Yeah, that was the weirdest thing. And I don't know why it, it happened. It was just, I don't know. It's from trauma, but, you honey. Know, it's from trauma. But, but also, well, I feel like it, yeah, it, I think it was also because I just graduated from university and there was no work. Like, I couldn't find a job if my life depended on it and I had no money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I was, like, as usual, broke, you know, right? mm-hmm. pretty much my whole life. Well, that's uh, hold on, hold on a second. Looking for something else. Okay, hold on a second, honey. We have another phone call here. I just want to acknowledge him. Hold on. Six six one area code. Who am I speaking to? Is this Philip? Hi, this is Philip. Yeah, it's you, right? Okay. Do you want to listen, or, or do you want to? Do you have a comment to make, or or what? Um, I think I'll just listen, please. You just want to listen right now? Okay. I don't know how long you've been there. Cause sometimes I close my eyes. Don't laugh at me. <laughs> but I do. I close my eyes, and I'll all of a sudden I'll look at the screen and go, oops, here's another telephone number, all right? Okay. So, um, but I'll get back to you, and then you can ask a question, okay? Okay, thanks. Okay. Okay, I'll put you on hold for right now. And let's see if Bill has something he'd like to say. Hold on a second. I'll open up his mic. Bill, well, I, I, I know you're working, say, but go ahead. Yeah, I'm working, but I just want to, uh, I think you're doing a great job with your telling of your story and so forth. Uh, I like how you've uh, concentrated a significant amount of it so far on recovery because, you know, it's not it's not the problem, the problem, the problem. It's also <laughs> the solution, you know, and we want people to hear, you know, various solutions. There are lots of paths to recovery, lots, um, and yours is what it is. So it's nice to hear the various paths, whatever they offer, I guess. And then, you know, after that, hear how how it went, how how well did it go, and uh, you know whether they would have changed or not. Sounds like you were pretty satisfied. So, uh, but uh, thank you so much for coming here all the way from uh, Nova Scotia. Did you have to like swim or anything? I don't know. It's kind of cold up here too. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, by the way, frozen. I just walked across the ice field. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned. Timmy. Oh my God! <laughs> I, bet you, I bet you nobody else knew, heard that or knows what you were. Man, Timmins is a small town up in uh, Ontario, and it's near um, what's the other one? Sudbury. <laughs> oh, Calgary. Yeah. No, Sudbury. Yeah, they're mining towns. You say it that way, okay. And in fact, there's a giant nickel (laughs) in the town square. He knows the giant nickel. He knows about it. It's the size of a house. Anyway, thank you so much for being here. You're doing a great job. I won't take more of your time, but I did want to say thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so glad to do this. It's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> see, I told Good. you to be happy. I told you, see? And that's the way it usually is. I'm going to go back to um, to Lori, or, yeah, to Lori, and see if she uh, has something she wants to ask or make a comment about. Go ahead. 
I find actually the way that you do what you're doing uh, really interesting because um, just like futuristic kind of stuff. I'm, I'm old school, you know, uh, older, not dating anymore, uh, my age, but <laughs> I went through the process the old-fashioned way. Um, I got to a place where either the, the things that were said about me throughout the family, I mean, these are going on two generations from now, I found out they were still telling stories about me. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not even the person that they were, and why are they telling stories to strangers about me, like, don't they have anything else to do? They don't understand that people don't stay in the same place in their head, no matter what therapy they use to move on with. Um, I did the old-fashioned old ways. I, my son was born. I took him away from the family because it was I didn't want him around the people. And the absence of being around the people really diffused the anger in me from everything that happened I went and I saw a therapist that I wanted to help with a certain problem. I did it that way. And I journaled for a while. And then I had a doctor convince me to write a book I didn't want to write, but I did it because I promised him. And I guess it was therapeutic. I never uh, went back to read it or anything. And I always recommend that nobody reads it because it was so horrible. And I got to Mm. the point where... Um, everybody got older, and all these things that had happened all became, like, understandable. I knew what the words were to what was wrong with everybody, so I kind of focused more on because they they were ill. I got to the point where I actually forgave my brother. I hadn't talked to him, but in my mind, as I was writing, I actually forgave him for everything but throwing me out the window and trying to kill me, all the little in-between stuff, because I understood why he did it. And I'm just like, you know, at a point now where the past is so far beyond and the method that I use to get where I am, uh, though different than yours, I mean, you've actually gotten to a place where it sounds like, you know, it's an excellent job what you were doing. I'm sorry you wasted a lot of money. I can see you had, you know, <laughs> you know, you've got the brain. You probably would have figured this out on your own anyway. Well, it just kind of steered you in a direction. I don't know. Well, that was in it, you. They brought it, it out. That's all. I, I had to find it, you. you know. I'm a good good reader. You got to find, I have to find it. (laughs) You did a good job. But there's so much more. Like, honestly, there's so much more. What I really understood was that, you know, um, like this lack of self-confidence. Oh, my gosh. This still haunts me today. I struggle with that one a big, a lot. But, um I do, I have so, so much more appreciation for my body because I used to hate myself and hate my body and hate, you know, I mean, he would tell me that he would, because uh, I'm kind of fat, right? So he would tell me that he'd get a, he was going to get a knife and cut off all my fat on my body when I was like 12 years old. And, people um, pay to have that so, procedure done. Well, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> 
but like I was, so I hated my body, you know, I hated, and I'm sure other people who've gone through any kind of physical abuse, you know, or sexual abuse, like you get to a stage, like you're, you hate your body because your body has made these bad things come to it. Right. And, um, one of the things that I, I did do was, uh, I think the very first, the very first step that I really made to, to, um, to start to heal, to really start to heal, was I had to stop being so defensive and I had to start getting, being open. And I learned that the, the body and the mind are so connected. So I didn't, I didn't really have that knowledge or understanding before how connected they were. You know, so I, I call it physio, what is it, physio, um, physiological. It's physiological. Whatever happens in your brain happens in your body because your brain is making right. your body do it, right? So in order to get over that defensiveness, I had to use my body to stand up, put my hands by my side, facing out, and I stood up as tall as I could and said, I am open whenever I was about to go and learn something new from anybody, didn't matter who it was. I had to stop not letting anybody in or not, not allowing myself to learn and, and going, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I had to physically do that. And once I started to do that, I started to appreciate my body and I started to go, oh, man, thank you, feet, you know, for taking me down this road. <laughs> thank you, legs you know, for making me, giving me the opportunity to walk places. Thank you, you know, boobs, for allowing me to feed my daughter, you know, things like that, right, when I had my baby. Just silly things. It just, it changed, it completely changed how my brain then went on with, you know, how we have those automatic negative thoughts. It changed how my brain started to talk to myself, how I, like, in subconsciously or or when we're thinking you know oh I'm so fat and ugly or whatever right then I was going oh well I'm so glad I have such big boobs to feed this baby or you know I'm so glad I have a nice big butt because it stops you know the <laughs> me from hitting the wall too hard or <laughs> whatever <laughs> you know I was like started being really like open and oh man that was that was so hard to do I was I was in my um I was almost 40. I think I was 39 when I, I had to learn that just to get started, you know, and uh, it's because it's this, this trauma is so physiological and it makes us so closed or at least it made me so closed. You know, I didn't want to listen to anybody. I didn't believe anybody. It was everything was stupid, you know. <laughs> and what you just said there, though, is is the answer for you, and maybe for other people too. See, I I get mad at things. <laughs> That's my defense. If someone you know um, really annoys me, I tell them get lost, beat it. Or if they get nasty with me, I'll punch them in the nose. That's just how I feel. You know, that's how I am. Because I was trampled on so much as a kid. I won't stand for anyone to abuse me today. Now, what you're doing is you turned all of your life experiences, which are, you know, pretty darn severe here. I have your bio in front of me, okay? 
And you found a way, when you say you let yourself open, you found a way also to find the positive things in life, okay, and about your body, okay? So even if you're using it in a, in a comical sense, you know, I'm glad I have a nice big butt, or I'm glad I have this or that or whatever, whatever, you know, because that, you know, there's good that can come from it. And you started to like yourself. Okay, that's what happened. All of a sudden, you started, well, started to like to stop, yourself and stop love yourself. Hating, stop yes. hating myself. And that, uh-huh. that was the very beginning of when I started to learn what boundaries were. Because right. I wasn't like you. I didn't punch other people in the face. I didn't. I had a fear that, that I was going to black out and kill someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I bet it. I wish I could have. <laughs> I used to. I would, I would, um, I was really afraid I would black out and actually kill someone. And I would literally start to get weak if somebody was physical with me or became like, like aggressive and I couldn't Mm -hmm. handle it at all. And I became very submissive and obedient and I was the good girl. I was going to be the good daughter, you know, all that. Right. Mm -hmm. That, so that's what I ended up doing. And so it it took years before I even understood what a boundary was or learned how to implement a boundary or how do you define a boundary. Like I couldn't believe it when I would ask other people to help me if, because I would only ask if I really needed help and they'd say no. I was like, what? <laughs> but you don't understand. I really need help. You know, I didn't because I never said no. I never said no. So just so that physical act, um, you know, because it is so physiological for me, was my my starting point. That's where it started. I had to be open to learning first. Mm-hmm. And that physical act of, you know, putting my arms down opened up the pathway to allow me to do that. Because right. I think if I didn't, because it, it's physiological, right? It opens your your brain and your body are so connected. I wouldn't have been able to to learn everything that I needed to learn um, and and be able to get to a stage where, you know, I, uh, uh, I could deactivate the triggers and then know what boundaries were and have more respect for myself and be able to understand what it is that I wanted and how I wanted to live my life and if, how I could do that, you know. Right. I mean, I'm right. not saying my life became easy by any stretch of the imagination because, I mean, I did find out, like I said at the beginning, I found out I have ADHD, I am borderline personality, um, mm-hmm. potentially, uh, but I, and I also believe that I'm on the autism spectrum of some sort and still looking kind of into that because it, it seems very interesting. I go, oh, I have that character trait, <laughs> you know, so you don't always know where it's Let, from. Let's go because back. So many let's of these go back. Things, Mm-hmm. Let's go back a little bit, okay? And then I want to get to the borderline personality disorder. Who said you had borderline personality disorder? Dr. Sadak at Dalhousie University. Mm-hmm. So they did all kinds of tests on you and, and everything, and they decided that you had um, possible borderline personality disorder? He's, yeah. He said, yeah, I went in to see him. Um, just to talk about my medication for my ADHD and make sure it was, you know, still right for me and whatnot. Because I, mm-hmm. I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until I was 52, 50, mm-hmm. anyway, older. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so the medication helped with, I didn't even know I had, like, more emotional dysregulation. Um, 
I, I thought it was normal because <laughs> it had been normal for me my whole life, right? This dysregulation, this up and down kind of thing uh, well, of they, emotions. Did they and, do, uh, listen to me, did they do blood levels on you? Because you're taking, I don't, you know. I don't uh, think borderline does, you don't think you do a blood test for borderline personality disorder or ADHD. Actually, they it's do. a blood test. Right. They, they take oh, not in Canada. On, well, uh, okay, I've where been I, where to I, a number of, asking. yeah, I've been to a few ADHD doctors here and not one of them mm-hmm. has taken any blood. Okay, but you took other yeah. types of medications, okay? So usually they do that, okay? They'll take it to see where your levels are at. And uh, that way they can determine, like if you're bipolar, say, um, your level would be off, oh. I'm just saying, or, or whatever it might be. I'm 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 having trouble with the borderline personality disorder with you, but that's not my place to say. It's just that I work so much with it. <laughs> you, I think oh, you do. Fine. I did. Well, yeah, it's, I did. it's yeah. He so. said he said potential. He didn't. So he yeah. he he had no interest in seeing me again because I'm functional, right? Right. Um. So uh, yeah. So I've done some. Okay. All right. That, yeah. That's he a, did say potential. He didn't. Okay. That makes me feel better. It was because he said in order to diagnose you, like it takes a long time, and you know you mm-hmm. you need to do a lot of whatever tests, I guess, mm-hmm. or different. It takes it takes quite a time, but because I was so functional, he yeah. just said, "Don't worry about it." You, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Well, you're doing you're doing just fine on your own. Okay, you have found a way. Okay, for to deactivate your your emotions. Okay, and and so forth. And uh, and that keeps you in line. Um, let me well, ask you something. Well, to deactivate the trigger, right? I, I the triggers. Deactivate yeah. the triggers that cause that severe post-traumatic right. stress reaction, right. and that happened every day, literally every single day. Mm-hmm. Like especially in a group of people, and if a man was there and he was going to yeah. walk up to me, oh my God, that was it. Or if I saw a blonde guy, done. Or if you know, yeah. or if a police officer started to walk up to me or even just walk towards me for whatever reason on the street and or a manager of a store, anything. <laughs> that So that was a big one. That was a big one. I agree with you. It, I, I wouldn't say, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. like, um, I mean, obviously, I, I would say that the um, the the connection of my brain thinking that the, the trauma is going to continue to happen now is gone for sure. You know, and that's what I, th- I think, in my opinion, that's what I think PTSD is. It's your brain going, oh, my God, you know, this person's going to kill you. Like, this is dangerous life. This is a dangerous world. You're going to die. Like, you're, you're going to get hurt. Everything that just happened to you is going to happen to you again. Mm-hmm. That's what I think PTSD is. It triggers, that's why they say trigger, right? Because it's triggering yeah. your brain to think the same thing is going to happen in this situation. Well, the trigger different. is trauma, honey. The trauma is what causes the trigger. Let me ask you yeah. something. Yes. Um, I know about that. Let me ask you something. Just out of curiosity, um, all these years that this was happening to you, you, you were going yeah. to school, correct? I went to, yeah, I went to university. Mm-hmm. No, I don't mean, I don't mean there. I mean, like when you were a kid. Let's go back. I want to ask you something. When you were growing up and your brother was a monster, just like my brother was a monster, there's a lot of monster people mm-hmm. out there. Um, mm-hmm. How did you do in school? Were you able to concentrate, yes or no? Uh, no, I never did well in school. But it, uh, mm-hmm. we moved every year. I, sometimes I went to two or three schools in a year. 
So we moved wow. a lot. Um, I don't know why we moved a lot. I think the longest I was in was in this little tiny town in southern Ontario, or, or northern Ontario, actually, called Ignace. I was there for three years, went to grade two, three, and four. And then I was in, I don't know, different uh, different school for grade five and six. I went to three different schools for grade one. Uh, like, I, yeah, all over the country. Like, we just, we moved a lot. You know, my dad drove trucks for the mining, and then he, and then he uh, wanted to go to school, so he went to uh, Lakehead College in, in um, Thunder Bay, Ontario. So we were in Thunder Bay in a trailer park, and he was, you know, going to the college there. And uh, then he went, they went back into mining, and we went up to Fort Francis and Timmins. And, like, there's all these, we were all over the place. We were in Saskatchewan and Alberta, I mean, the biggest effect, I think, um, in in school, uh, as far as the trauma goes, mm-hmm. um, I think it just made me not, I don't know, because I have ADHD, so I don't know, it's mm-hmm. tough to say mm-hmm. whether, was it my ADHD that made it so that I couldn't focus, or was it my trauma that made it so I couldn't focus, but I definitely had no interest in focusing. I couldn't sit in my seat. I was fidgety. I had to get up, you know, and I was always yeah, in trouble, yeah. always. It didn't matter. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, yeah. that that happens with the uh, the ADHD, with the hyperactivity and all that, not being able to sit yeah. still and, and the, uh, yeah. And that's what that stands for with the hyper, you know, hyperness. Um, okay, I was just curious about that. You may very well have ADHD. Um, because I can tell by the way you speak and the way your your mind's you know your brr, brr, but you also can have that. That's all right. You can also have that um, from other things too as well. But it's not borderline personality disorder. Okay, okay. I said that. <laughs> he was thinking. I remember he was. Um, he asked me when I went into Dr. Sadak here at Dalhousie University. Uh, uh, he asked me, you know, oh. Um, you know, oh, so how many friends do you have here? Or do you have any friends here or something yeah. like that? Mm-hmm. You know, because we had moved here from, with my, I moved here with my husband from Vancouver. And I said, friends? People are assholes. I don't have any friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he goes, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I think but look at, you look at the you life you've lived. Look at the life you've lived. <laughs> First of all, you're moving around so much that it's hard for kids you know, when you move so much like that, you can't really make um, friends. They become acquaintances. And because you're on the go, you're on the go, you're on the go, you're on the go. So it's hard to develop or even to make a friendship. I can understand that. And as far mm-hmm. as people being assholes, that's all right. You can talk any way you want on this show, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> as far as they're being assholes, a lot of people are, Okay. And um, I don't have ADHD or, or any of the other things, a borderline personality disorder. We run into people throughout our life, okay, um, that are simply not people who we should be with. Many times we have trouble choosing right partners. Many times we have trouble choosing friends. Many times we have trouble with our social skills, okay, because we have been through so much trauma. 
a lot of us just want to go and hide. Now, I became, you know, I was very inward, and then all of a sudden I became like, a, uh, you know, an outward person where people say, shut up, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because uh, <laughs> my mind goes like this at times, and uh, and I don't have ADHD. It's just that it's a, um, a, a mechanism, a mechanism, because we have so much information stored in our mind. But I have learned over the years to, I'm going to use the word, separate myself from my emotions when it comes to the past. Because if you live with that that fear, that anger, that sadness, um, all the things that it gives you when you you know go through so much trauma, it absolutely affects you for the rest of your life. And I'm trying to have a normal life. So all those people, many, many people, whether it be in the family or outside of the family, who uh, attacked me, okay, well, I'll use the word attack because that's what it is, mm-hmm. uh, crimes against children, all right? Um, those right. people yeah. were no good, and that doesn't mean that I'm no good, and most of them are dead, and I'm pretty sure they're in hell because I believe in hell, okay? I really do. And I am... Children are a gift from God. So if you abuse children, then you're going to end up in hell, honey. That's where you're going. And that's fine with me. See, that's, that's the way I think. To me, that's like, uh, you know, justice has been done because that's where they are, okay? And someday I'll have to yeah. stand before God because I'm not perfect either, all right? But, um, you know, I don't go around hurting people. But I think with yourself, you have, you've come to a, a way of truly... Um, dealing with all of the problems that you had to face as a child. And if you're able to forgive your brother, I think you said you were able to. Were you? I think you said that. Yes or no? I don't. I, I have a different belief system about that. I don't believe we yeah. have to forgive our perpetrator. I believe we have to forgive either. ourselves for how we abused ourselves because of the yeah. perpetrator. And that's, that's where I believe the forgiveness lies, not okay. in them. I mean, you can go through the 12 steps and you go through the whole, you know, laundry, the, the history, right? You go through the mm-hmm. history and your, uh, mm-hmm. uh, your, your heritage and your, your pain and suffering that's been passed on through generations mm-hmm. and understand mm-hmm. it. And that, mm-hmm. that was a good journey. It didn't mm-hmm. solve my problem, though, you know. The biggest mm-hmm. thing that I really uh, that I really wanted to understand was how to live, right? How am I, how do I live? Because I never learned what, mm-hmm. how, how to look for character traits in people, what kind of character traits in people or how I was supposed to know to trust someone. I never mm-hmm. learned that I had a right to boundaries. My body was somebody else's toy. And I was told that I should let him do whatever he wants to it. Like I That's was, right. you know, mm-hmm. No, I went through the same thing. I get it. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. Exactly, right? I didn't learn that. Mm -hmm. So it took, so I had to go to books and different um, programs, and I even saw a shaman when I was in Vancouver um, Mm -hmm. to learn what a boundary was and how to set it and how how to fit it in. I had to learn how to make a decision that was good for me. I had no idea. I wasn't taught any of that. I had to learn. How do you plan and organize something to achieve what you want? I was just like a bull in a china shop. I just went and, okay, I'm going to university. I went to university. I'm going to work 80 hours a week and this job and that job, and I'm going to make it happen, and I'm going to, you know, you do it all. You're hypervigilant, as you said, and you push yourself forward. 
Mm-hmm. I never learned any of that, but I learned it now. Now I can sit down and plan and organize and know when it's a good decision that I'm making for me because now I have a process to do it. Right. Um, right. Or even relationships that meet my needs. You know, I was always so lonely. And like you say, you know, that always those yeah. songs, the 70 songs, right? Looking for love in all the wrong places. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I couldn't. I, I didn't have any idea how to find a partner or a relationship that was going to suit my needs because I was just desperately searching for anyone because I didn't have mm-hmm. anyone because we moved so much. There was, we were never anywhere long enough for right. anybody in the neighborhood to recognize or understand that there was something wrong going on, right? right. Or to right. be able to go to your parents and say, hey, you know, your, your daughter's running down the street with blood pouring out of her head, right? Like, you know, Jesus, yeah. mm-hmm. or, or yeah. anything, right? They don't, because there's, you know, you're not, you're not there. So I didn't know how to, how to choose people, you know, that were going to be good for me or even know what that would look like. Right. I didn't right. know what intimacy was. Intimacy was, I thought was sex. I didn't know. I didn't know it was something different than that, or, love, or that I had the right love. to choose yeah, who could be I could be in, who could be intimate with me, right? Uh-huh. It was like, oh, will you take me tonight instead of you know, instead uh-huh. of, uh, oh no, I don't think I want you tonight. Like you know what I mean? That whole flipping everything around, you know, um, right? Or or having that fear of authority. Like, oh, you right. know, that was, or how I expressed authority, you know, and how mm-hmm. uh, people with authority had over me. I didn't know that. We didn't, I feel like people, like in my situation, I didn't learn any of that. And when people are in situations like that, where they're, like you say, you're being physically abused, mentally abused, emotionally abused, mm-hmm. you're not learning those core competencies, those basic life skills that mm-hmm. we need. And I, right. I, I, I just, I feel like it should be free for everyone, you know, free education for everyone. <laughs> like I would love to just share it all, you know, for mm-hmm. free. But I mean, I did develop this um, course and mm-hmm. I just want to share exactly the techniques, like exactly the, the, the step-by-step procedures and how to mm-hmm. do all of those things, how to know who to trust, what character traits to look for. How to know, uh-huh. you know, okay, you don't trust this person with your kids and you don't trust them with your car and you don't give them money. You don't do this, right? Uh-huh. Okay, uh-huh. now you can bring them into your, you know, trust or teach them how, right, after they ex- exhibit, you know, character traits. You don't bring a man home the first night you meet him or a woman or whatever, right, because you don't know uh-huh. what they're like uh-huh. or what they're going to do, uh-huh. that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So. So yeah, well, it's so good I now thought. that you've come, you've come into touch, okay? I like to slow you down a little bit, let you take a deep breath. Um, you've come into <laughs> touch. Now that there's, uh, you need to do that. It's good for you. Um, you've come into touch with, um, you know, all of your feelings and what you, now today. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. Even in, uh, you know, in relationships and all this other stuff that you're talking about, um, you just said it. You have boundaries. There are boundaries, and there should be boundaries in life. And that's even for our own good, okay? And we have to have boundaries too. So, you know, you've come a long ways on your own. Now, you claim you didn't get much from the therapist and all this other stuff that you went to. Okay, some do, some don't. 
So you found your own way of living your life and coming in touch with who you are, and that's very good. Okay, I'm proud of you for that because what you were talking about would be enough to make someone really totally fly off the handle, which would probably be me, all right? If I had to drink urine, I think I'd lose it, all right? <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> and, and some of the, some of the other things you the were talking about. Oh, yeah. Lord Jesus. Look, uh, yes, I'm not I here to be, to be abused, okay? And But I had to get <laughs> to that point. I had to get to that point because I took it too for too long. I took it in my childhood because I had no one to help me, and I took it in uh, the partners that I chose because I had no one to help me. But then I got tough all of a sudden, really tough, and that's where the anger started to come out. And that's Mm. okay because it helps me to be a stronger person. I wouldn't actually hit my brother in the head with a baseball bat. Well, maybe I would. I don't know. <laughs> he was I really might. Dead. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. And, and he got away with everything, all right? Yeah, not just with me. Oh, kids, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, screwball. Yeah, so with you too, right? Your, your brother yeah. got away with it. Yeah, he did. that's terrible. Yeah, yeah I know. And, and yeah. no one cared. In fact, my mother told me no. that this happens in families because I did tell her, and that was the end of it. Oh, my God. That's so, you know, I mean. That's yeah, terrible. yeah. yeah. So you see, we go through all of these things. We all go through all of these things. And for you to come out at the end okay is amazing. I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's, it's, it's definitely like, oh, my God, 180 degree, you know, turnaround from what I was because I was a mess. I mean, oh, my gosh. I didn't know what was happening to me. I felt like I was. Some alien was taking me, you know, taking over mm-hmm. all the time, and I couldn't, I couldn't manage it all. But I mean, what, what is amazing at this later age in life, you know, I met this mm-hmm. amazing man. I followed all my prescriptions, you know, like as far as uh, mm-hmm. uh, how to find, you know, how to know how to trust someone, and I put him to the test, and how to know whether to bring him in my little boundary, my trust circles, you know. And I put him to the test with that, too. And, you know, it took us a year of dating before mm-hmm. we said, okay, we're good. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I trust you. I know you, you know. And and being open and asking, being able to ask him about his finances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, That's a big good. one. That's a lot good. of people get married and they don't know each other's finances even. You know, they don't know anything really yeah. about each other. They're just like, oh, we're in love and... And um, I would never have had the confidence to do that, but that's a boundary, right? Saying, well, if we're going to get married, I need to know your credit score. I need to know your assets. I need to know your debt, right? Uh And I did Uh not have those feelings of like, oh, my God, I'm not allowed to ask that. I shouldn't ask that. You know, it's all secret and private. And every time I was in that feeling, you know, before I learned what these these actual core competencies, like these actual skills, it was terrible. So thank gosh, you know, thank whomever, Allah, yeah. whatever. Right? Yeah. Well, you've God, done a whoever. good job. Thank God you've I done learned a good that. Job. And you've done a I'm, good job. You know, Let me nice. slow you down. found an Let amazing guy. Yeah. yeah, good. We're working I'm, I'm together. Gonna... Listen nice. to me, honey. The yeah. show's almost over. Okay, yeah. I mean it went that fast. Didn't I tell you it would go fast? Very. Yeah. Fast. 
Yes. So before the show goes over, and I think you've done an amazing job, like I said, and I'm glad that you're happy today. And you have a little girl, too, you said, didn't you? Well, she's 30 now. <laughs> well, oh, 29. okay. She's 29. Uh, okay. I won't age her. <laughs> Time goes by so fast, doesn't it? <laughs> I know. Oh. Anyway, I want, I want to put Lori on from PA real quick and uh, see if Bill would like to say goodbye to you. And uh, Philip, many times he likes to listen, so that's okay. And uh, so let me put Lori on. Go ahead. Go ahead, Lori. I think that having ADHD is not a bad thing at all um, because you get a lot more done, you know. So that's how you have to look at it. And the list of I think the it other saved things, my life. It probably yeah. did. Um, the one thing that I do have to say is not to let all these diagnoses and everything else define yeah. who you are because you are really something else. Yeah. I agree. No, I don't. I I'm curious about them, though. I find, I find I'm very more, like, analytical about it, and I'm very curious, like, oh, I do this thing. What is that? You know, <laughs> where does that come from? Is it trauma? Is it ADHD? Is it BPD or is something else? You know, I'm always very curious about my little quirk. <laughs> well, you're doing fine with your little quirks, okay? You're doing, you really are. Thank you for that, for that, Lori. And uh, let's go to Bill real quick so he can say goodbye because uh, my clock is 9.34. I think it's off by about five or ten minutes, so. Um, Bill, are you there? Let me open up his mic. Oops. I know he's there. Okay, there you are. Uh-huh. Bill. Now I'm unmuted. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yes, I'm here. Oh, okay. I want to thank uh, you very much, Laura, for being here with us tonight. Um, really special, you know. Laura is an hour ahead of you, Carol. Uh, I don't know if you know that, but there's a there's a fifth time zone in North America, and it's hanging <laughs> out in the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> That's where she's calling from. So yeah, I know. I it's heard an hour later. From, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but well, I'm, I'm so glad you came on. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the dedication it takes. And we do have people, Laura, from um, places like Europe and, you know, Israel and so forth, But uh, and down under. <laughs> as yeah. long as you can, uh, you're awake during the time we do the show, you just have to figure out what time it is in your place, and you can come on. Anybody can. Uh, and that's, that's all it is. It's be awake and ready to call the number, and you're in. So, Laura, you're now a card-carrying member of the NASCA family, and we're delighted to have had you, and thank you very much for having shared your story with us. So God bless you. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm sorry. I hope I didn't talk your head off. <laughs> no, 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 no. no you That's did, okay. You did well. You did yes. well. Yes, yes. And um, Philip, would you like to say good night? Good night, everybody. Okay. And uh, next time, I'll get you to talk. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, um, you know, he listens many times, and, hey, he learns from that. That's good. So we had a wonderful guest tonight, and I like her technique in, in the way that she has uh, gotten on her you know, healing journey. And for her, it works very good. In fact, I, if I was you, I would take notes as to how you go about what you do so that maybe, because you were mentioning that uh, you would like to maybe make sort of like a little workshop or something, and, and then you'd have something to offer people, you know, like make a list of things of how you do it. 
You know what I'm saying? I do. It's Serenity Now Foundations. If you Google Turn Your Demons into Puppies, my website mm-hmm. comes up. It's a course, and it's ready to go. Okay, that's good. That is good. Yeah. I kind of feel it so. That's good. Because it is a little different than, the well, like, um, you know, like Lori says, she's old school, and I am too in a sense, although I keep up with everything. You know, I do a lot of research. So I knew what you were talking about. And evidently it's quite good because look at you. You're good. <laughs> all right, you did well. So you got this all of these steps together, and to teach people how to do it is a very good thing. I think it's important. So good for Nobody you. Nobody tells okay. us how to do anything anymore. They all want us to figure it out on our own. It drives me mm-hmm. nuts, Carol. <laughs> I hear you. I hear tell you. Tell me how to do it. <laughs> tell me you what know? to do and how to do it. I'll do it. Well, I, anyway, I think you're, you, thank you. you will, what you've said, what, you know what, yeah, I hear you. And what you've said, just put it down on paper, get it all together. You said it's all ready to go now anyway. Let us know. I'm going to call mm-hmm. you back, okay? I want you to come back, say maybe about, I don't know, six or seven, eight months, and, and see how you're doing with this, if you got yourself, you know, together with this uh, thing that you're formulating, because I think it's good. It's good. Oh, it's, it's finished. I am marketing it now. Well, that's, that's it's finished. Wonderful. It's ready to go. It's beautiful. It's, we've got the YouTube channel. My husband's got Twitter going. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the problem is, I work. At, I, I run another business, right? I have a. I also have a, a like my bread and butter business, and if I oh, could okay. just teach mm-hmm. the world this, mm-hmm. my whole life. I mean, this would be my. This I believe is my life's purpose. Is to share I think these so too. techniques and tools. I do, but uh, you know you got to make a living at it, right? So until I, I can you. do that, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, how about if I check back? Okay, our show is over. So how about if I check back with you in about I don't know six months or something, and maybe you'd like to come on once you have it all together and you, you feel comfortable with it, and uh, maybe something you could send NASCA as another way of of people learning how to heal. Okay, something that they could learn. I'd love to. Okay, so we've got your number, and you can come on anytime you want, Monday through Friday, all right? You know what time it is here to come on and um, yeah, listen to any show, all right? Thank you so much, Carol. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate it oh, you're much. welcome. Good night now. Good night, everybody. Thank you very much. God bless. Good night now. Good night. Good night. Good night. Blog Talk Radio. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.